Well, friends, we're picking up from where we left off last week. The, uh, the continuation of that story where we discovered that Peter was lacking a certain amount of clarity and compassion with regards to the gospel. Uh, where God had prepared this person, uh, Cornelius, to receive the gospel, to become a Christian. Uh, where God was opening the door right the way through to uh, the ends of the earth. Uh, to the point where we become ourselves recipients of the gospel some 2,000 years later, that the message of salvation isn't just for one people group in one geographic location, but in actual fact it is the gospel to all the ends of the earth. And this is the the watershed moment whereby uh, we discover that the gospel is for all people groups, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people, everywhere. But the question that I think that we were left with, or at least the question that I hope that you found yourself asking at the end of last week is, yes, I understand that Peter was lacking clarity and he was lacking compassion. I understand that I need to have clarity of what the gospel is and I need to have the compassion that our Heavenly Father has for all people. I can recognize within myself that sometimes I'm not always clear about the gospel. I know that sometimes I am lacking compassion towards people. So how do I get it? Uh, where do I get it from? And that's really what this next piece of, uh, of Scripture is about, is, is where do I find the clarity and the compassion uh, that God has shown to us in the Gospel? And so we pick up Peter leaving Joppa the next day, verse 23b. He started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So it wasn't just Peter. It was Peter and some other Christians. And they leave that day. The following day, it's a two-day journey. They arrive in Caesarea. And really what we see happening in this first little opening section, uh, verses 24 to 34, is the change that has taken place in Peter's life. He was unclear. He was a bit muddied about who it was exactly that the gospel is for. Uh, And we see that by the end of the journey, he is absolutely clear, but not just absolutely clear, he is a changed person. We see that in the movements that take place in the story. Movement number one, he actually goes with the people that came to get him from Cornelius' house. He gets up and he goes and he agrees to visit a Gentile home. Uh, Verse 26, he finally meets Cornelius, and Cornelius drops down to his feet in reverence, and Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, Cornelius, no, get up. I'm no one special. I'm a man just like you. Thirdly, we see in verse uh, 28, um, Peter saying, uh, you yourself know that a Jew is not supposed to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I've been corrected by God and I am changed. Verse 30, Peter realizes that God himself has prepared Cornelius for the gospel. When he says to him, listen, why did you send for me? Cornelius says, well, three days ago, I was in my house praying uh, at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. That was the, the angel, the messenger of the Lord. And this messenger said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. And so send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God, 
to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He recognizes that God himself has prepared Cornelius for this moment. And fifthly, we see the, the, the complete change, the complete turnaround in Peter when he declares it with his own mouth in verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, the one who does what is right. He recognizes uh, in this moment, this, this change uh, so uh, encompasses him uh, that he's able to make this own declaration. It's interesting because if you go back, you've got to go way, way back to, to, to understand that this is actually what God had always intended. If you go back and you read Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, uh, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens and the earth, even the highest heavens and everything in the earth. Yet the Lord has set his affection on your forefathers. Uh, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, it's the same as favoritism, and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Peter recognizes that this is actually what God has always been intending to do. That God does not show favoritism, but rather he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's really interesting because in the very next verse 36, he says, You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is... Lord of all, reminiscent of that in, verse, in that in those verses in Deuteronomy, that God is the God of gods and he is the Lord of lords. He is the Lord of all. So who is the Lord of all? Well, Jesus is the Lord of all and he has come to bring peace. Peace between humanity and God. Peace between humanity and humanity by breaking down all divisions that have been built up by humans throughout history. Now, we've got to be careful when we read verse 35. Uh, it's a kind of verse that, lifted out of context, can sound um, really bad. Verse 35, but God accepts people from every nation, the one who fears him and who does what is right. And it, it could be uh, that you could turn that into something that's saying, well, God, all roads lead to God. As long as you do the right thing and live the right life and uh, have all the outward external appearances of looking good and doing good, uh, then God will accept you. But that certainly isn't what Peter is saying. When you read through the flow of the passage and the flow of the whole story, and incidentally, I don't know if you picked up, but basically the story is told three times, beginning at Acts chapter 10 and right the way through to what Kath read for us in chapter 11 and verse 18. Three times the exact same story is told in three different ways, but it's the same story. But the flow of the story isn't that we earn our salvation or that we work for our salvation or that God uh, commends salvation to us by doing what is good and what is right. Rather, he's saying anyone in any nation who does the right thing by God will be acceptable to God. 
So what's the right thing to do by God? Well, this passage tells us and actually shows us that the right thing to do by God is exactly what Cornelius did. He heard the word of the Lord and he obeyed it. The word of the Lord came to him and said, go and send for Simon, who is called Peter. And so he does that. Uh, Then he, when asked, why are you here? Why have you brought me here? He relays the whole story. And in verse 33, I sent for you immediately. It was good of you to come. And now we're all here. We are all here in the presence of God, waiting expectantly, seeking his face and wanting to know what it is that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And it wasn't just Cornelius. I don't know if you noticed. It's It's his relatives. It's his close friends. All those people who were dependent upon him. And when Peter walks in, there's a, there's a crowd. Cornelius didn't quietly just say, hey, I want to hear this. He got everybody together, everybody he knew, everyone he had influence over, and they all came together to hear what it was that the Lord had to tell them. In other words, how is it that God can accept anyone from any nation who does the right thing? Well, the right thing is to hear the word of the Lord and to respond appropriately to what that word is and that word will always be a call to repent and to turn from sin and to turn from sin and to turn to God that's exactly what Cornelius uh, brings uh, to the table uh, through his own example it's this call to stop talking to stop barricading to stop changing the subject to stop thinking about something else, to stop giving your opinions on everything because all that God wants you to do is to listen to Him. And when you have listened to Him, He wants you to believe what He says. Uh, Martin Luther, one of the Reformation fathers, said the only piece of anatomy that you need to have working on your body to become a Christian are your ears. Believe. Listen to what God says and believe. And so you have this picture of Peter being uh, completely transformed by the end of all this. You have this picture of, of Peter finally accepting the gospel in all of its wonder and all of its glory. You have Peter, uh, the great apostle who was ready and willing to receive uh, the correction uh, that God needed to bring in his life in order for the gospel to go forwards. And friends, I wonder if as we think about the application uh, of the story for ourselves, as we think through the book of Acts, there are two things that really just stand out in this initial phase of what God is doing in and through Peter and what God is doing in and through the world. The first is this reality that just like Peter, we need to be corrected by God. I reckon fairly often. I don't know about you, but I'll just speak for myself, but pretty much on a daily basis, I need God breaking into my heart and my mind and correcting me with the truths of the gospel, showing up in me my favoritism or my partiality, showing up in me uh, my inability to love or show compassion. How gracious God is that, Pete, that he doesn't just write Peter off, but rather he comes to him. He is slow with him. He corrects him. He forms him. He shapes him. And at the end of the story, we're able to see how far Peter has come in those uh, five little incidents where he's able to say, I can see now that God doesn't show partiality. Of course, Peter would need more correcting further on in his life. And even that is true for us. 
We're never so far corrected that we don't need more correction. We're never so far corrected that we aren't in danger of slipping back into things. And so, friends, when God comes by His Word to correct or rebuke or to train you in righteousness, I wonder if you will receive that correction. But the second thing that I want you to see from this little incident in Peter's life is the acceptance Uh, The acceptance that God has for all people. You know, it's interesting. It's one of the things that I think that we chase all of our lives, not just when we're children, but right the way through our adults, is is acceptance. We, We want to be accepted by people. There's nothing in all the world like being accepted, like knowing that that you are accepted, knowing that you are a part of, uh, knowing that somebody loves you deeply and cares for you in spite of all your flaws, in spite of all the things that need to be corrected. You know, knowing that that there is somebody uh, who corrects you, even though you, 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 you make a lot of noise when you chew. Uh, even someone that accepts you, uh, even though uh, you can be a little bit irritating and frustrating along the way. Uh, someone who accepts you for all of your idiosyncrasies. Uh, someone who accepts you even when you're having a bad attitude. You know, there's nothing like that. Just knowing that you have that someone in your life or that group of people in your life that come what may, they accept you. Now you think about that longing that you have for that acceptance in your life. And think about the acceptance that God has for us. There's no acceptance like God's acceptance. And what Peter is highlighting uh, for Cornelius, what what Luke's highlighting for us in this whole story with Peter and Cornelius, is that to be acceptable to God means that you trust what Jesus did. Uh, To to be acceptable to God means that you uh, are able to take correction on the chin and ask God every single day to straighten you out. And you're able to do that because you know that in spite of your need of correction, God accepts you because of Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't throw his toys out the cot when he realizes that he's misunderstood the gospel and thinks that he's unacceptable. He rather takes that correction and recognizes that he's still acceptable to God and acceptable to God because of what Jesus did. Friends, we need to learn in our own lives not to constrain and constrict uh, the gospel either for ourselves or for others. The second thing that happens in the story kind of carries on. Uh, Peter then proclaims the message of the gospel. And he does it to two groups of people. I'm going to do them at the same time. Uh, He does it firstly uh, to Cornelius and to his house. And then he does it in Acts chapter 11 to the church in Jerusalem. Now what's really interesting here is he proclaims the same gospel and we hear the same story in the end of Acts chapter 10 as what we hear in Acts chapter 11. And I'm going to get to the end right at the beginning just so that you can see it as it plays itself out. The point that Luke is making is that in God's economy, the thing that everybody needs Whether you are a Christian or you are not a Christian, whether you are a new Christian or you have been a Christian for a long time, if you want the clarity of the the gospel, if you want to receive God's compassion, and if you want to be able to show God's compassion to other people, the thing that you need the most is always going to be the gospel. Cornelius and his house needed the gospel, and the church, who's like, 
Hey, Peter, we heard what you were doing in Joppa. That's a bit of a problem for us. They also needed the gospel. So here's what Peter does. He uh, begins, verse 36, you know the message. He says, listen, here is the message of the gospel. You want to be clear on the gospel? Here is the clean, clear, crisp message uh, summary of the gospel. There's nothing else in here. It's not tainted. It's not polluted. It is a pure gospel. This, if you, this is all that you need to be saved. This is all that you need to become a Christian. Verse 38. You've heard about Jesus and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. That is why his life was so effective and perfect and pure and liberating. Verse 39, they killed him. They hung him on a tree. Uh, That verse is loaded theologically because we know from the Old Testament that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. They bear the curse of God. They took the curse against sin, or at least Jesus, in hanging on the tree, took the curse of sin on himself as he hung there. We're witnesses of everything that he did, and they killed him by hanging him on a cross, on a tree. Thirdly, verse 40, the gospel, God raised him from the dead. Death couldn't hold him, and he caused him to be seen. He was not seen by everyone, but he was seen by certain witnesses that God had chosen. We were there. I was among them. I ate with him. I drank with him. After he rose from the dead, he defeated death. Verse 42, he has now been appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So it is important that you meet him. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins and is ready to meet him with joy. Friends, that is the gospel that corrects us. It is the gospel that recenters us. And it is the gospel that causes us to be acceptable by God. We need to keep coming back to that gospel if we want the clarity that we need in our own lives and the compassion that we need to show to other people. He he doesn't say that there are any rituals. He doesn't say that there are any ceremonies. He doesn't say that there are any regulations that need to be followed. He doesn't say that there are these steps that need to take place. All he says is that Jesus was anointed by God, killed on a tree to bear the curse for your sin, raised and seen, even ate with his disciples. He's been appointed to be the judge of everyone and all people one day will meet him for it is appointed for man once to die and after that to face judgment. And he gives forgiveness of sins which anyone and everyone can freely receive to be forgiven and washed and made clean and be secure and ready to meet him with joy. The result is astonishing because while Peter was still speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who were witnesses to this couldn't believe what was going on. They're really important because they couldn't believe what was going on, but they also feature later on in chapter 11. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received this Holy Spirit. Okay, here it is. Just as we have. God shows no favoritism. God shows no partiality. As we receive the Spirit, they've received the Spirit. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Peter stayed on there for a few days. 
and I imagine carried on teaching them in the truths of the gospel, explaining more about Jesus. Then Peter goes back to Jerusalem. And you think there would be much rejoicing and high-fiving and fist-bumping and everybody would be super stoked that a whole bunch of other people had become Christians. But that wasn't the case. When Peter got to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. The circumcised believers is a shorthand way of saying the people who believe that for you to become a Christian, you first had to become a Jew, criticized him. And so, and I'm not going to go back into the whole thing, but basically Peter tells the story again. The third time in the space of about um, 60 verses that this story gets told again. Luke's doing it from a literary point of view because he's trying to make a point. Something really big has happened here. This is not boring, alright? This is exciting. This is huge. This is a really, really, really big deal. If you're going to understand what God is doing in the world today, you actually have to understand what God was doing in the world back then. God was taking the gospel to all the nations of the earth. And the people that already had the gospel were busy saying, we don't like that. We like our little club. And so if people are going to become Christians, then they must jump through all of our hoops. And if they're happy to do that, well, then we will accept them. And Peter says, no, that's not how this works. I have finally come to understand. Right at the end, verse 17, So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let me say two things about that as we end our time this morning. The first one is this. So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Friends, it is unhelpful and unloving and lacking of compassion to say, to think, Uh, or to conceive uh, that we can tell people or not tell people uh, the gospel. That we could say that, you know, it's fine, believe what you want to believe, as long as you're genuine in some kind of faith, you're good. Uh, We're good with, uh, in Cape Town, in the Western Cape, we understand fire and how fire works on mountains, and we understand fire breaks. Uh, Think of it like this. The, the judgment, the, the wrath of God one day is going to be poured out and this world is going to be burned up. And God has sent in Jesus a fire break. A fire break to such an extent that anyone who stands in Jesus' fire break is saved from the wrath to come. It's not loving to say to someone on the mountain, hey look, stand, stand wherever you want. You'll be okay when the fire comes. We have to say, no, stand in Jesus, so that when the fire falls, that fire break that God has given you will rescue you and it will save you. That's the picture that you have here. 
God's mercy is huge and it encompasses all people, but that mercy is only found in one firebreak. His grace is for all people so that all men and women can be saved, but His grace is bound up to a person, Jesus Christ. It's all people from all nations who do the right thing can be saved, but what is the right thing to do? It is to hear the word of God and respond in repentance and faith and obedience. It is unloving to say to people, stand wherever you want. We've got to hold out the firebreak of Jesus. That's on the macro level. That's what we maybe do corporately as a church. But then let me say something on the micro level. It is lacking clarity and compassion for there to be someone in your life and for you to consider them unworthy of the gospel. You see, our problem today isn't uh, maybe so much uh, along um, racial lines or language lines or cultural lines. Uh, we, we get the equality of all people. We understand that. But there might be someone in your life and you just think to yourself, for whatever reason, they're not worthy of the gospel. Or you think to yourself, they'll never become a Christian. And yet the passage like this reminds us that if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? I wonder if you'll be the one who stands in God's way and there is someone that he is uh, trying to reach. There is someone that he could be working on reaching. There's someone in your life and they are seeking and you don't even know it, but you're blocking the gospel because you just think to yourself, that person could never ever become a Christian. Or because there's still something in you that considers yourself somewhat superior than they do. You know, you've been going to church for longer, or you've been doing more things that are godly or holy, and, you know, I know that the way they live, and, and yet we don't know whose life God is working in. We don't know whose life God has put us in. And so I think one of the challenges for us this morning as we think about the, the gospel coming to all nations isn't to go and think about all the nations. It isn't to go and think about all the peoples, although the gospel is for them, but it's to think about all the people in your life. And to perhaps rethink, recalibrate, reconsider who it is that God wants to use you to reach with the gospel. Who is God putting on your heart right now in this moment? I believe in this moment he'll be putting people on your heart that you need to be praying for and interceding for and asking the Lord to shine his light into their hearts. And I do believe that God will be causing them to seek as well. Don't ever write anyone off when it comes to the gospel because God doesn't. He has in this story established that the gospel will come to the ends of the earth. You know, the astonishing thing isn't going to be the person who you influence or share or tell the gospel. You know, the, the, we often think of the astonishing, you know, I can't believe so-and-so became a Christian. It's amazing they became a Christian. I wonder if you ever stop to just think for a second, oh my goodness, it's amazing that I became a Christian. I do. I think it's amazing that I became a Christian. I think it's amazing that God worked in my life. 
And I think unless we get back to that, that gripping reality of the wonder of God uh, working in my life, the wonder of God doing this thing in my life, if we don't see that as this wonderful, incredible, uh, good, great news, if all we're doing is seeking to do rituals and good works apart from God's grace in our lives, we don't really have any good news to hold out to anyone in the first place. So friends, that is the story of Peter and Cornelius and God opening the door to the Gentiles. It is the story of you and I becoming Christians thousands of years later. It is a story that is full of wonder, of acceptance, of application for us, of plenty of things for us to think about, to know that we are accepted by God, to invite His correction in our life, and to wonder and to pray and to think about the people that God is moving us towards to build bridges, to carry the gospel. Because here's the good news. God has broken down the barrier wall. But we have got to walk over the rubble of that wall that he's broken down with the gospel to seek and to save the lost. Would you bow with me and let's pray. And perhaps in these few moments, I'll just give you a few seconds. And maybe there's someone right now that you want to pray for. And pray that God would be causing them to seek Him and asking that God would use you to be the bridge that the gospel walks over. Why don't you just take a moment and pray for that person now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are accepted by you, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Heavenly Father, we invite into our lives your correction, and we pray that it will bring clarity about the gospel and compassion for people. And Father, we pray and we ask that we would never count anyone out from becoming a Christian that we would never be guilty of standing in your way of what you are doing in someone else's life. And we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to ask you to join me at the back, and together we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, uh, just as we move into that, we're going to uh, declare what it is that we believe. So I'm going to stand. We're going to do this together. It's a shortened creed, uh, one that we haven't said together. So I'm going to read it slowly. We're going to read it together. Uh, What is it that uh, we believe uh, as a church? Well, together, we believe in God the Father, maker of all things. We believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of the world. We believe in the Holy Spirit, giver of life and light. We belong to the church, God's family everywhere. Amen. Why don't you come and join me at the back around the table.